Thanks, Wally. It's great to be back with you. I was here 12 months ago, for those that remember. I was going to ask you what I preached on, but my ego is too fragile, so I won't do that. I know what I preached on, because I wrote notes, but um, that's all right. As uh, Wally said, I'm the uh, regional pastor for Eastern Victoria, and uh, so I travel around um, the, the east part of Victoria and encourage churches and pastors. I was the pastor at uh, Sale for 22 years and uh, resigned from there to take on this role. But my real claim to fame is being the youth pastor at Roeville Baptist many, many years ago. My first, my first ever pastoral role, so it's your fault that I stand here today and uh, you've got a lot to answer for in the wider kingdom, I think, because of that. But I uh, had many fruitful uh, years of ministry here as a deacon and as a youth pastor with, uh, when Lindsay Smith was here. So, uh, as I say, back in the late 80s, no, sorry, early 80s, late 70s. I was three or four, you know, <laughs> very young in those days. Um, and if you, anyone who's been around long enough, don't go and ask them stories about me, please. Um, there are a few here who endure those times. So that's good. Anyway, let's get into uh, God's Word. I'm going to read from uh, Luke chapter 7. So if you want to flick, swipe, or just listen, that's up to you. Um, depending on which version of the, which concept of the Bible you have. For those at home, you can run to the, your bookshelf and where you have 300 Bibles, I know, and choose which version. I'm reading from the uh, NIV this morning. Luke 7, verses 11 to 17. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Narn, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the coffin, and those carrying it stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk. And Jesus gave, gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. Let me pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And today we ask for ears to hear what you have to say to us. May you use these next few minutes to challenge, encourage and inspire how we should live our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. I don't know if you've ever been in a, in a big crowd. I used to go to the Hillsong Conference regularly and you'd be forever in a big crowd, in a big queue and sometimes you're never quite sure what queue you're in. You were hoping you were in the right queue you were hoping it was heading to the gate that you were sort of had ticket for, but you were never quite sure if it was going to veer off and go somewhere else and you had to actually join another crowd. Or there'd be two crowds that converge 
two lines that would converge and suddenly this, this bottleneck would happen. This morning in this reading, we, there was two crowds that collided. It's, it's like one was going down Stud Road, the other was going down Wellington, Wellington Road and, and right at the intersection, these two crowds came together and just clashed and met each other. They were on different paths going down going down different journeys, totally different expectations of what was happening and yet they collided and this interaction happened. Jesus and and his disciples had been on a journey. This crowd had just heard Jesus preach the Sermon on the Mount. They had sat there and listened to this great teacher and they were soaking in that, that teaching and applying it to their lives and, and contemplating it, you know, and, and just following him down the road. They'd been interrupted by, by uh, a, a centurion servant coming to him and saying, my master's servant's really sick. He doesn't want you to come, but he just wants you to say the words so they're healed. And Jesus was a bit shocked by that and, and his crowd were going... What's, what's he going to do? And he goes, they're healed. And this miracle happened without them actually being there. Was such the authority of Jesus. This crowd was following Jesus down the road. They were excited. They were expectant. And they were enthusiastic. They, they weren't quite sure where they were going but they knew who they were following. And, and life was pretty normal for them as they, as they were journeying down this road. And yet they came to this, this intersection and there was another crowd, another group of people. And Jesus saw a scene that broke his heart. He saw a funeral procession. This crowd was following a widow who was going to bury her only son, was going to bury her hopes and her dreams, was going to bury everything that she looked forward to, bury her security, the one who was going to support her and encourage her and keep her physically and financially This day she was going to bury her son and had this unknown future. Couldn't imagine what the future would look like. This crowd had witnessed a son dying. This crowd had heard a mother's wail that was just heart-wrenching. This crowd was heading to a cemetery This crowd was full of despair, depression and despondency. And these two crowds came together and and sort of collided. Jesus, who was the son of God, who was going to give up everything, met a widow's son who was dead. 
Jesus met that day his greatest enemy, death. The one who said, I am the way, the truth and the life was faced with that enemy. But just like the previous story with the centurion, Jesus responded with authority. He said, you know, there, there are parts in, in this Bible and, and with all due respect to Jesus, the Son of God, who is, knows a lot more than I do, he has asked some pretty dumb questions and said some pretty dumb things in his ministry. To go up to a widow at a funeral and say, don't cry. I'm not sure, I've done a lot of funerals. I don't think I've ever gone up to a parent and say, don't cry when they're burying a child, when they're burying their child. And if you're a parent here and you can even begin to put yourself in that space and someone says to you, don't cry, I think what I would call the spirit of slap would come upon me and I would want to slap them. That's not pastoral, it's not caring. But Jesus knew what was about to happen. And he could say confidently and with authority, don't cry. This isn't the end of the story. This isn't where this finishes. This isn't where your hopes and dreams fall apart. It may look like it, but this isn't where it finishes. People carrying the coffin as Jesus approached this, this holy man approached death who shouldn't come anywhere near a dead body because he'll defile himself was so out of place these people stopped and looked at him and going do you know what you're doing? Should you really be here? Do you really want to get involved in this? And then Jesus touched the coffin touched the coffin and said to the young man, I say to you, get up. Get up. It's an amazing story. And, and you know, there's lots of different ways we can take it. But, but as I read this, and I've read it a few times over the last 12 months, my heart and my mind keep going back to the church's journey over the last two years. Here was a group of people, the church, following Jesus, excited, expectant, knowing what was happening, wondering what Jesus was going to say to them next. They were going confidently, we would gather and we would sit together. We would worship together. We would hear the stories of Jesus and, and, and teachings of this word and we would leave excited, challenged. We knew where we were heading. The church had plans for the future, had ministries that would open up every week, would, would welcome people onto their site. And suddenly... All that, all that collided 
with the world. All that collided with a virus. All that collided with, with, with what was happening in community. And we were left going, what next? And we spent months gathering around a screen if we bothered to do that. And, and got some feeding and, and some sort of fellowship but it was different. It was different. And now, after that collision that was unexpected and we were unprepared for and we were unplanned, now we get an opportunity to sort of gather back. And, and we, we start looking around and going, Who's in the crowd now? Who's still following Jesus down the road? And what does that look like to follow Jesus down the road? Does it, does it mean you've, you've got to be here in person and, and those online are, are sort of just there because they can't gather? And, and they're, is that what church is now? Is it a two-class system? It's not. But that can be the challenge. That was my challenge, mentally, because I was keen as mustard to get back. And I thought, oh, those people who don't come back, should I ring them up and tell them off? You know? Should I ring them up and, sorry, encourage them politely to come? You know? No. As I travel around eastern Victoria and I meet with leadership teams and pastors and congregations and each congregation's been on a different journey and, and some have met a lot more than others and, and you, you know, in the recent lockdown, this is your second meeting back, so you've, you know, you've had a different journey to others. Some have been meeting for a long time, some have hardly ever, hardly ever stopped meeting because they were so small they were able to, to meet as a group most of the time, not all the time. Each church is different. These two crowds in this story collided and Jesus went to work. And I, and I, I think now's the time to actually look at what Jesus did. And in this unexpected clash, Jesus stopped and said, "What? you thought it was all finished. But I say to you, get up. Get up. You know, I can't imagine what it was like for that mother. But I've talked to a few people who've had near-death experiences and their life is not the same. It's different. Their priorities are slightly different. Their, their attitudes are slightly different. Their exuberance is slightly different. That mother and son, their life didn't go back to what it was. It was different. 
I can guarantee it. I can guarantee it. It wasn't that taken for granted stuff. It wasn't, you know, I bet you he cleaned his room a lot more. (laughs) Happily. I bet you she, she did things for him that she happily did. Church is not going to be the same. It's going to be different. As, as, as we negotiate what it means to come back together, as we negotiate what ministry looks like during the week, as, as people are still you know, feeling a little bit, I'm not sure how to operate in this world, and not, not, some are confident, some aren't, some have really good reasons to be, to be a little bit more cautious than others. There's all sorts of myriad reasons, and that doesn't matter. What matters is, what do we as a church do? How do we get on with building the kingdom of God? If you're really good and you remember what I preached on 12 months ago, I preached on the bride is coming. We're the bride of Christ. And our job is to prepare the bride. Our job is to prepare for the kingdom. How do we as a church go about doing what God wants us to do? Because I think Jesus is coming to us this morning and saying, get up. And that will mean so many different things to so many different people. But it actually boils down to one thing, action. Do something. My ministry is different to your ministry. Your ministry will be different to what it was two years ago, potentially. But we are called in this book to a life of action. We are called to actually do something. I think for once we can actually hear the words of Jesus. Don't cry. Don't cry over what you thought you'd lost. Here is an opportunity to reset and to rethink and to move forward. One of the common questions that's asked in this, in this time is, what are you happy to leave behind in this COVID space, that you've picked up in this COVID space because you had to, what are you happy to to leave behind? Now, a lot of us in in leadership started off saying, I am happy to leave Zoom behind. (laughs) But you know what? I'm not happy to leave Zoom behind because Zoom offers me a a lot of potential to do some amazing different ministries in, in a lot of ways a lot more efficiently. I'm, a, I'm, I'm happy to leave some bad Zoom behind and some really long Zoom behind, but it's a tool that is fantastic for me and others in the churches. You know, I can, I, you know I, I've had some meetings with, with the leadership team. I didn't have to drive two and a half hours to have a meeting. I could have a meeting in the comfort of my own home and achieve the same thing. I used to have to drive 
for a meeting with, with elders and leaders that might go for 15, 20 minutes and I would drive for three hours. I am happy to leave those behind and do a 15-minute Zoom meeting. So sometimes we can look at, okay, that's, that's what I'm going to keep. I'm going to keep. What am I going to keep? I'm going to keep those good Zoom meetings. What are you going to keep that you've picked up over, over um, the COVID times? There are some really good things that we've picked up. It's all different. I'm not going to cry over over some things. Some things I'm, you know, I am so excited to get back in front of people and preach. What I want to leave behind is preaching to a camera. I don't mind preaching to this camera, but preaching to a camera in my lounge room is horrible. I hated it. And uh, I did it as least as possible. Whereas if I get a sniff to preach, I'm there. I don't need much of an invite. Jesus went up to this dead son and said, Get up. The time is right. And gave him back to his mother. I think Jesus is saying to the church, Get up and give us back and give the church back to the world because we are a vital part of the salt and the light of the world. We don't need to be this inch little group, but we need to be out there building the kingdom. Get up and do something. If you're of an age, and I'm not quite this old, so you have to be quite of an age, but there's, uh, there's, a, there's a classic time in AFL history, a coach's speech, when Hawthorne was on the ropes, and I don't like Hawthorne, but you know, that's all right. I'll use him as an example because I'm happy to spread the love. When their coach, John Kennedy, just said, don't think, do. He said it with a bit more passion and I, there might have been a few expletives in there, I'm not sure. Knowing John Kennedy, there probably was. But you can look it up on YouTube and it's this passionate speech. And I think it's time for the church to, to hear don't think about what we can do. Let's do something. Let's get out there and be the church. In a world that's different. In a way that's different. And Roeville will do it different to Sale, who will do it different to, to um, Knox, who will do it different to Ferntree Gully, who will do it different to Kundruk Barham. You know, we'll all do it differently. But we'll all have the one goal, to build the kingdom of God. And to reach people for Jesus. And that's our task. It's time we heard Jesus say to us, get up and do something. What are you going to do? It's not the leader's job. It's not the pastor's job. It's the church's job. Whether you're here in person or home, we all have a role to fill. To do something to build the kingdom. Let me pray for you. Father, I thank you that your word does light a path to our feet. Father, may you give us wisdom to know what you are calling us individually and corporately to do. Father, may we hear your voice and may we be challenged into action this morning. 
And I thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thanks, Wally.